0: Welcome to Lock and Key Unlocked, a podcast about Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez's comic book Lock and Key and the upcoming Netflix series that is approaching so fast, faster than a coyote tracking you down. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I am locked and keyed and ready to go. I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about the third volume of Lock and Key, the comic book series, Crown of Shadows. This is published by IDW, written by Joe Hill, art by Gabriel Rodriguez, colors by Jay Photos, and letters by Robbie Robbins. Now, as we've done in the previous episodes, I'll mention this again, we are going to be doing spoilers for Crown of Shadows and the comic book series Lock and Key. This isn't necessarily spoilers for the Netflix series, because that's a little bit of a remixed version. Version of what went on the comic book, but tread lightly if you don't want to know. And definitely, if you haven't read Crown of Shadows and are planning on it, read that first and then come back here because
1: we're going to spoil the crap out of it. It's source material. And I think I don't count knowing the source material as a spoiler because it doesn't actually tell you what is necessarily going to happen in the show. It's just fun to see how they use what you love.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I still stand behind my thing that they're going to just video record the pages of Lock and Key. <laughs> well, that's yeah. how most book-to-screen adaptations
0: happen, <laughs> uh, such as The Witcher was the only thing that I could think of off. Yep, oh, wow. No, you're
1: clearly a literate person, and you said The Witcher, which I believe is a video game? I think it's a video well, it game. Was a ser-
0: it was a series of Polish books first before it was okay, a video cool. game, but okay. the
1: Netflix series How about is- Little Women, Alex? How about Little Women? No. Yeah, Alex. That's how about a Is that film? good?
0: I haven't played that one yet. What is that for Xbox?
1: All the characters are playable.
0: <laughs> oh. It's really I hope super you
1: un- fun.
0: Uh, I'm so close to
1: unlocking Joe. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Wait. She is. She's a wild card. You never know what's going to happen yeah. until you know.
0: Hmm. Hmm. So as usual here, I'm going to start off with a couple of notes about Crown of Shadows, but I wanted to clear the air about something first, Pete. Before we get into an argument like we did the last time, have you read any interviews or watched any two minute and 21 okay. second clips online of Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez being interviewed by IDW talking
2: about Crowd of Shadows? Just want to check. Goddamn right, I did.
1: <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> I'm going to talk about it the whole time. <laughs> well, hey, Pete, real quick, what gift did you see that you're going to quote from for this whole podcast? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mainly Baby Yoda gifts.
0: Yes. Uh, So I will say uh, we kind of threw ourselves under the bus last episode saying how we didn't quote our sources. So I did go back. There's a really good, really, really long, like crazy long piece about Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. That's on a site called Women Write About Comics. The headline is 10 Years of Lock and Key, the Creators on the Journey So Far. And it's... From a panel that they did, and this was crazy to me, like, I actually, I skimmed past this part of the intro and read the stuff with the interview. Uh, It was from a panel, and then afterwards, the writer caught up with them and chatted with them a little bit. But it was from the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature in Dubai. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of pissed we weren't invited to that, to be honest.
1: I feel like I we might have been. You know, those are the kind of things that uh-huh. uh, once you get there, it's totally worth it.
0: Mm. So you're saying we got an invite, but it probably went directly to spam because they're like, Hello, I am a uh, prince of Dubai, and you must come to my f- festival of literature. We will yes. pay $1 million. Well,
1: to it's, matter, quite, we it's literally that. the biggest mistake of our lives.
0: Uh, So, definitely check that out because it's great. There's a lot of really fascinating uh, information as Joe and Gaby Gabe talk more about their comic books. Put some goddamn respect on his name. Never. I never will. A couple of notes about Crowd of Shadows, though. It was originally released between November 11th, 2009, and July 14th. 2010. Uh, we talked a little bit about the awards. Oh, Pete is
2: raising his finger, his little wormy
0: yeah. finger, just poking it up I there. I just wanted,
2: it's uh, gross. You know, we wanted. To, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, Gabriel in the two minute and change uh, interview <laughs> did talk about how this, and I didn't really kind of pick up on it as much the first time reading it because so much action happens in this, mm-hmm. but in like video. he talked about how heartbreaking this. Uh, specific trade was and uh, kind of rereading it I found that very much
1: to be true I won't be satisfied until you remake (laughs) this video playing both Joe and Gabriel and we release it in our (laughs) podcast feed (laughs) oh that'll be awesome
0: Uh, we should do it actually could you dress in costumes Pete yep Excellent. A uh, couple of notes that I wanted to give about this one. There weren't a bunch of background things that I necessarily found, like the last two. Uh, there are awards we'll be talking about more down the road. But some one thing that we haven't really talked about other than the preview episode is the stuff that was going on in the background while they were making the comic book series, which is that the first issue of Lock and Key came out, as Pete knows, beginning of February 2008, because as he talked about, he rereads the series Every single year on the same exact date. What date is that, real quick, Pete? Uh, uh, the 21st. All right. You uh, you got it. You, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel I like I need when to Pete be out back win. down to hell or
1: something. I love it when Pete gets a win on Alex. <laughs> Another trap set. Yes. Got
0: him. So four days after that, on February 25th, 2008, uh, right after the first issue debuted, Lock and Key was actually picked up by Dimension Films. Uh, it was optioned, and the plan at that point was to create a feature film out of the series. Now, you may or may not know this, but Dimension Films was originally part of Miramax, which was owned by Disney, which was started by two guys uh who split with Disney and split with Miramax. Uh, and then Dimension Films was bought in two thousand five by their company, which is called the Weinstein Company. And of course very that's notable. Bob and uh, Harvey. Weinstein. Very Come on. Uh, I mean, I didn't invent history, Pete. It's just how it worked. So you can why kind you of bring say this up. Well, I bring it up because it's kind of lucky that it fell through. Uh, and in fact, the Weinstein Company, uh, Dimension in particular, were facing a lot of financial hardship. Though so by February 2010, about midway through when Crown of Shadows was happening, uh, the rights were kicked over to DreamWorks, who bought the rights for Alex Kurtzman and Robert Orsi. Uh, Roberto Orsi, excuse me. And I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but I'm just going to roll with it and we'll see I where we it's go to. Soft C. Uh, Uh, The two of them that you should probably know uh, just about their point of the history, they were mostly writers by this point. They had written the 2009 Star Trek reboot, which is great. Uh, They had also written the Transformers films, including just had written Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Everybody's third or fourth favorite Transformer film, I want to say.
1: Yes, definitely. I could tell, walk you through each of those very different plots of those Transformers <laughs> movies right now. Well, they, we
2: all know Bumblebee is the best one, so it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, at this point, Bumblebee hadn't had come out. Uh, they had produced one feature, which was Eagle Eye in 2008, another one of everybody's favorite movies. Uh, but they were looking at this point to more pro- produce more projects in addition to Fringe, which is actually a very good series that they had Love co-created Fringe. and were working on behind the scenes. Uh, so... At that point, when they took over, the plan was still to make a feature film, but very soon after that, plans changed. And that's the point that we'll pick up on with the media history, where we talk about the next volume, Keys to the Kingdom. The last thing that I do want to mention, uh, Crown of Shadows is the beginning of Act 2 of Lock and Key, along with Keys to the Kingdom. And unlike the last volume, which was a prologue, four issues, and an epilogue, this is essentially five issues and an epilogue, though I I think they think of them more as one story than the previous volume. I I could be wrong
1: about that. I mean, it it feels like one story, except for the sixth issue is this sort of very dark, uh, sort of separate bottle bottle issue, really, uh, focusing on the mom. I get what you're saying with bottle issue. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, that's
0: what I'm talking sweet about. Sweet bun, dude. Let's do some recap for what's happened so far uh, before we get into Crown of Shadows oh. proper. All right, Pete, come cool your jets, dude. Cool your jets, man. Uh, so this... Uh, This comic book focuses on the Locke family. The patriarch of the family, Rendell Locke, was murdered by a guy named Sam Lesser, uh, while Sam Lesser was searching for a bunch of mysterious magical keys at the behest of a strange creature known as Dodge. Now, we have later found out that Dodge has a number of identities, including the woman in the well, which is where we originally find him. Uh, He also turns out to be a boy named Lucas Caravaggio. Hmm who is friends with Rendell Locke, the guy who was murdered, way back in the day, probably, what do I say, 20, 30 years earlier, or something like that? I would say 30 all, years, like when they're kids, 30. when they're teens, the yeah. same
1: or similar age to the kids that are our main characters in this volume. Ooh, because yeah, yeah. history
0: repeats itself. So yes. they were friends back in the day. They discovered these magical caves. Things got very messed up. Something happened to Lucas that we find out a lot more about in this issue, but he got corrupted in some way. Their friends' friendship fell out, several of them died, and Rendell Locke moved away. From his hometown of Lovecraft Massachusetts eventually becoming a guidance counselor at a school in San Francisco uh, until he was murdered by Sam lesser so the rest of the family which includes Nina Locke the mother Bodie Locke the youngest Kinsey Locke the middle child and Tyler Locke the oldest who is almost 18 years old and almost ready to graduate from high school uh, they all moved back to key house his ancestral home in Lovecraft Massachusetts once there they discovered the woman in the well they discovered that she's searching for a bunch of these strange keys, and they came into conflict with her. They also came into conflict with Sam Lesser, who, driven by Dodge, escaped from prison, came back to Key House, confronted them, and ultimately they beat him. But moreover, Dodge, who escaped from the well, had taken on the identity of an 18-year-old boy named Zach Wells, snapped Sam Lesser's neck, and kicked him through something called the ghost door that had his spirit leave his body, closed the door. So he was trapped outside. So his body really did, in fact, die. So Sam Lesser is a ghost floating around outside. The other thing, an important piece of information that we found out last volume, is which doesn't play in quite as much, but I still think is good to know, is that one of the kids back in the day was a woman named Ellie Whedon. Ellie Whedon has a son named Rufus. Rufus is uh, autistic or on the autism spectrum. Uh, but Ellie Whedon was in love with Lucas Caravaggio, had a relationship with him, and in a moment of weakness brought him back in Well House, a small house right to the side of Key House, using something called... Called the Echo Key. Uh, Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that is the being that we are dealing with, the villain that we are dealing with throughout most of the series, at least to this point. A couple of other characters you probably know about. Uh, Kinsey uh, has taken her fear. And her sadness out of her head using the head key, which allows you to go inside people's heads, take out their memories, take out their emotions, other things like that, as well as put information back into it. But when you put information into it, it's very critical. You just get the text Not necessarily the understanding. Hmm. Uh, Tyler had developed a crush on a girl named Jordan, who several other people in town have described as a psycho (laughs) bitch. Tyler is also very good friends with uh, with Zach Wells, though, of course, he doesn't know that Zach Wells is actually Dodge. Uh, And what else? Or dating his
1: sister, Kinsey.
0: Right, they had started smoocheroing by the end of the last volume, uh, however, there's another character that's kind of in love with Kidsey. His name is Scott. he is a alt punk. Type dude, Spider Jerusalem, as you called him in the last episode. Justin, uh, he has a friend who I am blanking right now on the name of, but I'm sure has a name uh, who hangs around with him. Uh, And that's probably pretty much it for right now. What else? We got a preview of some of the other keys that pop up uh, this volume, but I guess we'll talk to them when we get them. Uh, Anything else we should talk recap-wise before we hop into it? What other
1: keys are on the table? Um, Because I think that's important. Uh, You said the Echo key and the Head key. There's the Gender Swap key, uh, which is in play. Um, There is the Omega key is the ultimate goal of Dodge. mm -hmm. Um, There's also the Anywhere key that Dodge got pretty
0: early that allows Dodge to go anywhere as long as there is a door uh, to travel through space. Um, and oh, the other thing that's actually very important to mention is at the end of the last volume, the kid's uncle Duncan, uh, experienced a great tragedy. He first was involved in a bar fight with some homophobes who were egged on by his boyfriend, Brian. Uh, he had his memories wiped at some point in the past. He was a young kid about Bodie's age, back when Rendell and Lucas were friends. Uh, his memories were taken out at some point, but when he got hit with a bottle, when he got knocked out, his memories were jogged, that he started to remember that this kid, Zach Wells, may not actually be who he says he was. In the process of that, though, a series of circumstances led to Brian getting hit by a car, and as we find out in this volume, knocked into a coma and knocked unconscious, which has kind of distracted Duncan from warning Tyler and the rest of the kids that something is wrong with their friend. Yeah. Uh, so that all said, let's, let's jump into it. Did you talk uh, about Nina?
1: Of, real quick, did you talk about Nina, the mom? Who um, has a drinking problem and is sort of a little bit of an absentee mom, but she has a a budding friendship with a local detective named Mister Mutuku.
0: Yes, Uh, and he seems to be very apt. He is a good detective, not just a small town detective. So that's that's an important small towns.
1: Small towns are full of good people, Alex. I know your big city ways. Exactly. I mean, everyone. I I grew up in the country, and every single person Uh in my hometown was a great detective. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, you have uh, all the murders. Oh, yes, Pete. Justin, to correct you, we don't know if she has a drinking problem. Her partner was murdered, oh and God, she's uh, turning to booze for comfort. It's not clear that she has an ongoing problem. She, she might just be I'm using, just using jump it as ahead. a crutch. She is hiding bottles in her drawer. What do you think a drinking problem is, Pete? I'm just saying you get you get a grace period if somebody is murdered where you can right. go off on a little bit of a bender, okay?
1: Uh, uh, yes, I, I won't uh, dive into what you're talking about per se, but I will say everyone <laughs> in her family is very unhappy with her because of the amount she's drinking. How about that? That's true. That's okay. true. I'll give you that. Uh, and then also, Pete, I just
0: wanted to compliment you on that shirt you're wearing that says, I don't have a drinking problem. My only problem is the drinks
2: aren't coming fast enough. Yeah. That's that's fucked up t-shirt, man. I mean, you got that on a cruise, who...
1: right? You got that on a cruise ship. <laughs> <laughs> Your full line of cruise wear.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nice shorts, by the way. I appreciate you wearing shorts to our podcast taping, Pete. Nice shirt, nice shorts, no service.
1: And the headband <laughs> that says, is it wine o'clock? That's uh, that's <laughs> very oh, cool. man.
0: <laughs>
2: oh boy. Pizza <laughs> lush. Uh Let's talk broad
0: strokes. I'm not the one
1: drinking
2: on this podcast, JT. Says. Nobody is. Nobody is. Nobody knows who Wait, is.
0: no. What are you
1: drinking again? What is this called? Demon Porter or something like that? It's a random beer that someone left my. It's called Spike Devil Porter. I don't know where it's from. Oh, it's from Chatham, New Ooh. York. But isn't that interesting? Spike Devil, that sort of fits with the theme of the Crown of Shadows. Ooh, thank That's you why for I'm drinking your beer. <laughs> That's it's creepy that someone left it in your house. Yeah, it was someone who opened who just appeared through a door <laughs> from nowhere. So, that's pretty crazy I but be also I that love right a, a, a someone who brings over a drink when they come to visit.
0: Yeah, always do that. Let's talk broad strokes. For Crown of Shadows, before we get into the specifics, um, uh, since I think it is interesting as we're revisiting this, Justin, I know you said Head Games was your favorite volume. Yes. What was your general take on revisiting this one, Pete? Wh- wh- what were you thinking while you're
2: reading this? Uh, I was just surprised at how emotional it is. I remember loving the action sequence and how. Uh, much fun it uh, turns into, and it really does kind of go back to what we were talking about before, where like they really play with your emotions. But there is so much fun in this book, and there is a lot of uh, uh, love and closeness, even though there's so much horror going on as well.
1: We talk a lot about on this podcast about how confident um, uh, Joe and Gabriel were, are, and were with their um, creation of this book. And this is where I feel like the rubber hits the road action wise, and where they Mm -hmm. start to play with the form of comic books in general. Like, we get uh, there are two issues that are just like have these great, wild action sequences. That are just so well made and uh, you can feel them sort of being like, okay, we've got this story. We're confident in our ability to just tell this story. Let's see if we can play with the form and start to really um, amp up or elevate the, the way this book goes. And I think this is when they really first started to do that.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, P, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they do talk about this actually in the clip, that they felt like they're doing yep. this as a comic book, they're setting up these magic keys. If they didn't ramp up into action at some point, it would have felt wrong to them. So that's definitely what we get in this volume. But at the same great time... quote, Alex. Great quote. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> great interview. Uh, by the way, uh, Justin, we should invite you sometime... Pete and I get together usually every afternoon, crack oak but a good spike devil porter, and watch these two-minute
2: clips of Joe and Gabriel. Wow. You've oh, got to chug lead. the whole time the chug. clip's gone. That's the yeah, hard Yeah, it's part. a drinking yeah. game.
1: It's a, a, a yeah. comic book video interview-based drinking game. I love the idea yeah, that yeah. you We're guys get, to get time, together secretly. We try secretly. to race the clips. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we try to erase the clips with our drinks. And
2: yeah, exactly. Every time place. Gabriel Rodriguez uh, smiles, you got to chug. Yeah. <laughs> Pete died several
1: <laughs> weeks ago, by the way. Yeah. Again, Pete uh, talking right, about let... how easy it is to not have a drinking problem.
0: Uh, <laughs> so let's jump into this. Uh, we did say that. Uh, all the, the books, end...
2: Alex has got his book open, so it's time to start. <laughs> all right. Story time.
1: <laughs> Wait, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> Flip. I don't know.
2: Flip. I, I don't
1: know. Unplayed. I don't like. I let me be honest. I don't love those noises. Just from a, <laughs> a way of like, are you? You're licking your hand, I guess, when you make that sort yeah. of a sandpaper noise.
0: It's, you know what it is. I think I got it right the first time, and every subsequent time, it's just been a little too growly. Like I've been doing it too much of the back of my throat. I'll work on it. I'll get back to you guys. Uh, the first page of this book. I love mm-hmm. the first page of this because it immediately sets up the theme they're playing with, with the shadows in such a simple way, we get these five repeating panels of Tyler as he's sleeping. The first panel, there's light coming in from the door. Second panel, we get to see Lucas's shadow and the last panel we get to see Nina's shadow as she's drinking. Uh, and I love this. Like it's a simple way of introducing the theme and I am always so curious with something like this because I know, you know, Gabriel Rodriguez is drawing by hand. Does he redraw every single panel every single time? Does he tweak it through scanning? How does he hit that? Because there's definitely similarities, but it almost feels like it's fresh every time, single time he goes back to it, you know?
1: If I had to guess, yeah. I would think that he does it separately. He redraws it, but but I don't know. That is so much work.
2: Yeah, it's 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 really impressive because it's not until I reread it that I because the first time reading it I thought it was just the mom's uh, shadow um, because that's who he ends up talking to. But then when I reread it, I was like, "Oh crap, not the
1: case." And speaking of rereading it, like I love rereading this. It's so, like, not that I forgot a ton of it, but, like, the tension is so sharp and, like, granular Mm -hmm. that, like, it really picks you back up, even though you sort of know mostly where the story's going. But you get to notice so many more details on a reread like this. So it really is just, I love, I really loved rereading this.
0: One also nice thing about this opening scene, because we get to see Nina sobbing, she's woken up Tyler, she's telling him about what happened with Duncan and Brian, uh, and she's drinking and drinking. This is the central conflict of this volume that ultimately pays off emotionally in the last issue, which ostensibly is an epilogue. It's not exactly part of the Crowd of Shadows storyline, but... Tyler and Nina's relationship reaches a breaking point by the end because of her drinking and because of what she does. And that's such nice yeah. structure that you could set that up here right at the beginning, pay that off at the end, six issues later. That's really good and really emotional.
1: Yeah. And the the complicated relationships that they use, they use such a light touch establishing them and uh, like the way that Tyler clearly cares for his mother, but is also just like, you know, he can't tolerate the way she is, so he just has to sort of very carefully sort of handle her. It's just so, it's never said, it's just shown, and it's just really smart. One other thing I wanna yeah, say, one other thing I wanna say real quick is that this is the beginning of the second act, and I feel like it's very rare in stories, fantasy stories, or any story really, where the characters are so like behind the story as uh, our main characters are here they don't know much about anything. They are losing to Dodge over and over again. Mm -hmm. Dodge is running circles around them. This feels like sort of the point of no return area where it's usually reserved for like the going into the third act uh, of a story. And instead we get it so early where the characters are just like so lost and we're, we're stressed. I feel like watching this unfold.
2: I I would like to say though, when you were talking about the uh, family dynamic and the relationship, like it's, so well done like a real family where like each parent deals with kids differently. And like, uh, you can tell like the mom is really hurt, uh, when she sees Bodie, when she's like this, you know, and it's like she's okay because the other kids are older or whatever, but like, uh, it's just so well done. And like Justin was saying, it's not really talked about just shown. Yeah.
0: The other thing that they do really well here at the beginning and they do well throughout that I think we've touched on before, but they vary up the pace of issues very well. Like here, we're starting other than the first page, which is relatively dialogue free. Then we get two very heavy dialogue pages involving Tyler and Nina that cut immediately to one of my favorite pages of all time from the series as they exit out of Tyler's room. And he says, uh, don't joke. Sometimes I swear the shadows of this house move around on their own. She says that actually. Yeah. Uh and we've talked before about how Gabriel Rodriguez has a background in architecture, but you can see just the I always think about the lines that work as a panel border without actually breaking up into different panels. Where on the top of the staircase, you have Nina and Tyler walking along. They're all in color. Then you have these two lines, which, again, are very much like a comic book border. And below it is Zach, a.k.a. Lucas, lurking there, evilly staring up at them. And it's such a good surprise. Like, to Pete's point, if you didn't know it was Lucas... On that first page, you wouldn't think it. Like, And then if you go back and reel out, look, you realize, oh, shit.
2: Of course, he's been lurking here looking for these keys the entire time. And then what's even crazier is the foreshadowing on his T-shirt that he's wearing a ghost T-shirt. And, mm-hmm. you know, like not only has he been a ghost, but there is a ghost fight coming. Of course, you and mean then also
1: ghost from Pat from uh, the movie Ghost. Patrick Swayze. No, no, no. no uh, it's a Pac-Man ghost, but I uh, oh, appreciate oh, oh. what you're doing. Just be yeah, careful. That, like, when you say the word ghost, we all have different connotations.
2: That's true. That's a good point. Thank you, Justin. Right. And this uh, is uh, also...
0: Sorry to Pete to interrupt. I just want to keep talking about this Pac-Man ghost shirt uh, because it really does foreshadow, and this is a huge spoiler for how it ends, but they ultimately uh, beat Dodge by a big yellow guy comes out. Uh, they lure him with a bunch of cherries and uh, pellets and he gets there and he's about to eat them and then a big yellow guy comes out and eats him. Uh, and he goes. I would like to say
2: though, last time we talked about amazing uh cereals, Pac Man cereal <laughs> was an amazing cereal. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh,
1: I wasn't like, allowed to uh, have that. Uh, as
2: we're talking <laughs> as we're talking about the architecture of the page though, also you have in the corner, um you have a, a like a kid pointing to the lockhouse in such a kind of creepy Kios. Uh key house, sorry. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's no, you don't the more go to, you examine this. You book, don't want to go the to lockhouse, you love it. That thing yeah, is hard, I believe, hard to get into I could
0: be wrong. Uh I'll take a look for it, but I believe that's actually one of the panels from the guide to the known keys, right? Or it's the same art style at the very least, which is a thing that we saw in the last volume and then we get a little bit more of the story of what happened around the revolutionary war. Um, It certainly looks like it's from then. So yeah, that's something that's kind of neat as well. Uh, And then we get right after this big reveal Actually, sorry, I do want to actually seriously say something about the T-shirts, because it did jump out to me that it's such an easy thing in comic books to be like, and here's my color. Like, I am wearing green T-shirt, and I am a different character because I'm wearing red T-shirt. It's much harder to have A, actual designs. B, clothes that actually seem like they fit human beings, and C, that add designs to them so that they feel like they drape in the right way. And that's something that Gabriel Mm -hmm. Rodriguez does with almost every character, and it's kind of amazing to see. Like To put that extra level of effort into the costuming is very
1: impressive. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is a very specific point but like most comic books the characters are drawn where the clothes sort of stick to their bodies like spandex Mm -hmm. even characters in regular clothes uh because i think that's how most artists are trained are like master the form then throw a costume on and gabriel Mm -hmm. rodriguez like it really feels like they put that uh that shirt or that sweater on which i think is especially cool because it's massachusetts it's it's new england everyone feels like they need a little bit of coziness. You know, Uh, I
0: should mention that I'm wearing clothes that are sticking to my skin. So I that's why I identify with most comic books, but not this one.
1: Yeah. No, you uh, thank you for bringing that up. And thank you for wearing clothes at all. Uh, But speaking of like, Alex, you were talking about the
2: color change. Uh, What's interesting is Dodge's ghost T-shirt does change color on this next page. It goes from and I'm colorblind, so I might be wrong, but it goes from blue to green. It looks like. Mm. Uh, you're right, even though you are colorblind. But I think that has more to do with
0: he's in shadow. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I don't know. Or maybe it's a serious fuck up, and I hate this comic book now. Wow. Well, or maybe
1: oh. you never know. It's just a different one of the Pac Man ghosts. Yeah.
0: What's uh, maybe we'll get a no prize, but for like lock and key. So like a uh, lock, lock prize.
1: Yeah, no prizes went away, huh? Sad.
0: Yeah, they really did. I always wanted to get one as a kid. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, there used to be a thing where you catch a mistake in Marvel comics, but you had to explain it and explain why it wasn't actually a mistake, and then you would get a new prize. And the new prizes they would send you an empty envelope for Marvel comics. There you go. Oh, man. Ah. They really,
1: they really had a <laughs> talk about confidence. Yeah,
0: Uh, So then we get another one of my favorite pages Or one of the biggest holy shit moments Of the series at least up to this point Where Dodge goes through the ghost door Turns into a ghost And then you see something On the back On his back, attached to his back And as he turns around and we get to see more of it In his ghost form, ultimately we see That it has sort of these tendrils That are reaching into his heart As well as on his spine I... Getting to this page and reading it again, I could still remember the feeling seeing it at the first time, and I even remember us talking about it on the show and be like, "What the fuck is happening? What yeah. is this thing? What's uh, that
1: stretchy yeah. eyeball alien uh, that's hanging out in the it back?" It kind of rem- it reminds me a little bit
2: of like Blue Beetles deal, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think that
0: came later, but uh, yeah.
1: Yeah and again uh, the- like the fact that they have the whole story worked out to such a degree that we just get this little detail here is so cool. And right right before this moment, do we see Dodge holding all of the keys so far? And I, I feel like that's mm-hmm. that he has. I feel like that's such a scoreboard moment and it really mm-hmm. is like, oh, fuck. These lock kids are yeah. not doing good. Well, to your
0: point, uh, I think it is, yeah. I mean, it is a scoreboard because by the end they've gotten one or two of the keys back, or multiple keys. I think Dodge by the end has one of them at the end of this volume. Is that right?
1: No, no. Yep. He has he has all of them that he has there. Uh, no, ex- but after except the for fight. The, the then he they get the crown of shadows, um, and they have uh, I think the head key. But they the he has the rest of those keys that he has there. Okay. Yeah, but still, you're,
0: I I think they're 100% on point with that, that that is our way of keeping track of how up or down everybody is. Uh, but the rest of the issue is taken up with not just filling in the blanks in terms of what happened with Sam, uh, how he got together with Dodge, how Dodge first reached out to him. As an echo, she slash he was able to travel through anywhere that you could echo uh, and was promising great things. She He even promised promises to give him a body back if he will just use his ghost powers and find the Omega Key for him. But ultimately, Sam is pissed off now and we get for the rest of this issue, this amazing ghost fight. Uh, They jump back into this new Zack body and fight in it, which again, very incredible fight. Uh, but it jumps back and forth and we get a lot more information about how these ghosts work. They're essentially souls. They can be destroyed. Sam, uh, and hurt, Luke, and hurt, uh, because, Uh, Sam, by the end of the issue, has multiple scars across his soul. He's lost a hand that he's very tentatively reattached to his body. Uh, And Lucas says he's destroyed souls before. But also it becomes very clear that Lucas needs Sam to find the Omega Key because he can't find it on his own. Uh, And the, the crazy thing, I think, that they do emotionally in this issue so well is that for the first time, you feel bad for Sam.
1: Yeah, I think that is so—the The fact that this issue makes you feel sympathy for the horrifying villain of the first arc, and you truly are on his side in this fight, and you're—like, our failing sympathy for him is an amazing turnabout for a story to pull off. Yeah. Because I think you do. Uh, I think it's—you honestly are like, oh, God, I wish this guy could get out of this situation where it's like, wait a second, he just tried to kill— not only the dad, uh, he did kill the dad, They he tried to kill all of our protagonists at once. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, crazy
2: fu- you're rooting for the lesser of two evils in that fight. Oh, shit. Uh, That's good uh, shit Pete, right there. Take a lap,
0: Pete. Do you realize what you did? you feel like it looks like you... Don't realize what you just did. <laughs> uh, uh, amazing fight. Amazing art in here. I love the different use of color as well. It's such just, just a simple way of delineating yeah. which is which. And it would be an easy choice to be like, ghosts are blue. But having Sam be a green ghost and Dodge be a blue ghost Just makes it easy beyond the creature that's on his back. Uh, And the big thing that happens at the end here is we get this full page spread of Nina discovering the echo key and not quite remembering. As we've established, adults don't remember any of the magic, but she's certainly heard about keys before. And she's certainly been told about them as Sam was looking for them with Rendell. I mean, I feel like Uh, she
1: knows she knows about car keys for sure. And uh, Hobbs keys. I don't know if she knows but about car keys. I'll tell you what, inter- adults
2: forget car keys as
1: they get older. That's
2: that's true, very true. <laughs> it's also interesting to see, like, what the books are behind her and next to her there. You know, that you talked about the, how they were fighting and they were different colors. There's a book right there that says The Color of Death, you know. That's very interesting. You got Don Quixote in the back. You've got, mm-hmm. you know. Well, the, the, story. the
0: books, the books are the credits because they didn't come at the beginning. They come at the end. So Color of Death is by Jay Photos who's the colorist. The Storytellers is by Joey Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. Uh, but there are a couple of others. There's. Uh, Ubik by Philip K. Dick. There's Don Quixote is up there. A couple of other Mm -hmm. things like that. There's Jack London. I assume it's Call of the Wild. Ray Bradbury, The Martian Chronicles. And man, again, like not to get on the shirt thing again, but to draw a bookcase full of books all with different wording on the spines is bonkers. What a nightmare. Yes. So let's jump over to chapter two in the cave. This starts off uh, with Jordan and Tyler hanging out at a big statue again, as we're, this volume does a lot to continue to build up the history and legacy yeah. of Key house. And we see this enormous statue here that we also ostensibly end the volume with of Colonel Adam craze, who yeah. is he invented
1: craisins little known fact. <laughs> Um, and was famously quoted, "The dreams and ideas of free men are as an army of shadows and are as impossible to strike down by these dried Ooh. up cranberries." <laughs>
0: It's funny that they don't mention the craisins there, but he is standing on something that kind of looks like maybe it is a large craisin. That's what
1: Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. That's my theory about this comic.
0: (laughs) Uh, But he's the character or the craze is one of the characters from the guide to the known keys, that story that we're slowly building there. Uh, But Tyler still trying to use the keys to work his literal magic, on Jordan says that he is gonna write an essay for her so that she doesn't fail. She kisses him. he's pretty happy about it uh and then we get another nice swooo with uh Lucas kissing Kinsey on the head uh and I listen Scott I'm curious to get hear what you guys think of Scott because like Scott is such a loser, but I love him so much and this paddle at the end of the page here where he's just popping <laughs> around the tree. Yeah, yeah. Right after Lucas Lee is so much fun.
1: I mean, I feel like Scott is textbook, like, kid that is, like, no one likes in high school, but will grow up and be, like, a very cool adult. And, like, he's, like, the surrogate comic book writer, uh, I feel like, in this. And and I I think Mm -hmm. he is. He's great. He's a great character. He's a character that has a distinct voice right out of the gate. And distinct look as well. Uh, one yeah. thing I want to say about this Tyler Jordan scene, like I love the, sh- the the panel of him just laying there like fully confident in what he's done. And I think the, the bookend, the other side of this scene that we get in the uh, la- second to last issue or the last issue, I forget which, the second to last issue, number five yeah, I is think it's to last. so huge. And we'll talk about it when we get there. But I think that it's a major point in the story.
0: Yeah, I am very curious to get your take on that panel. That's something that, frankly, I wasn't totally sure about, so I'm glad you have an idea about it. Uh, And then we get the main plot of this issue, which is uh, Kinsey is talking to Scott. They come up with this plan because Scott has seen some names, including her father's name, down in the drowning caves, which doesn't sound like a good place to go. Don't go there. Don't go there. Uh, Right. Uh, So Kinsey takes her friend. Scott takes his friend and they travel down to the uh, drowning caves and we get this awesome hero shot of Kinsey standing on the rock. I'm sure this is totally obvious, but I feel like I almost feel like this is a visual reference to something and I don't know what it is. You know what I mean? Like it looks like a comic book cover from yeah. something
1: i feel like it's yeah. just like the the classic uh, spielbergian i mean this is basically stranger things this issue is like <laughs> could have been stranger it, things uh, it, this part here reminds me of goonies though yeah goonies perfect
0: yeah it reminds me of e.t.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought
0: we were just naming Spielberg movies. Uh, we also get another big major tease here as they're going down to the drowning caves. They find out, they very casually mention that it was barracks. Uh, it was used as barracks back in the American Revolution, which is something that we loop back to in one of the Golden Age books, I believe. Um, but as they walk by, and it's very clear that they leave it there Uh, They find a door Kinsey is like, huh, what do you think is that door? Uh, And they walk away And as they walk away uh, They just say, God, I was thinking of room stock With kegs and aged beer You lot all daydream bigger than I do But if you look at it There's a one on the door But the shape around the door Is an omega symbol So
1: seems like that might be something That perhaps people are looking for A little bit uh, yeah, that's the future right there. And if you, the Omega symbol is like a fucked up horseshoe. Oh,
0: yeah. And uh, there's no winners in horseshoes and nuclear bombs. Is that what it is? Wow. I yeah. can't
1: believe how badly you understand that quote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I believe the quote is close only matters in horseshoes and hand grenades. Oh, right. <laughs> so- hand grenades <laughs> and horseshoes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why
0: though I was watching Chernobyl and they were playing horseshoes, right? At Chernobyl. I don't know, man. And you like, need
1: to get out of your content bubble win. and your big city ways and go out and have a Spike Devil Porter and play a game of horseshoes.
0: Man, Ricky Gervais two point oh over here. Yep. Looking forward to you hosting the Golden Globes next year, Justin. <laughs>
1: yeah. Definitely. Wow. That's the most insulting thing you could have ever said to me.
0: Yes. Uh, So this also breaks down as one big action sequence, essentially with a lot of emotional stuff that breaks for the characters throughout. Uh, As Kinsey goes searching, she doesn't have fear anymore, so she's not worried about anything. They got to go down some rickety stairs. The water is freezing. It turns out the caves have flooded uh, because the tide has come in. She sees some ta- text, which is the Keepers of the Keys. Uh, she sees her father's name, Rendell Locke, but she wants to see more of it. At which point, the stairs collapse. Everybody falls into the water. Finally, Kidsey's friend and uh, Scott manage to hang on. But the other friend and Kidsey using one glow stick, go around the entire cave and find no exit there. Absolutely no escape. Uh, God, if somebody got stuck out of those caves, that would just be the death of them. Uh, something that I'm sure we'll loop back to at some point later on.
1: No, no. Don't know. You really. can live through this. This issue is a perfect example of how you can go to this cave and come out smelling like roses.
0: All right. Well, if there was a teenage character that, say, looked like Justin or something like that, mm-hmm. that got trapped in a cave like this, I don't think you would
1: make it out. But we'll talk about that uh, some I other guess point. We will see. Um <laughs> I love the way this whole sequence plays out. It's tense. we know it's very stupid that they're going in here, uh, but it's sort of and then they have these like great like John Hughes movie style conversations about like who they are as as people and the teenagers and the, they uh Jamal and uh Kinsey Kiss even though Scott's the one that likes her and everyone's just so cool in this uh moment except for the the friend who's like sort of stressed out the whole time right the
0: other thing that I think is fascinating that this brings up is it really deals with the ramifications of Kinsey removing her fear in particular, her sadness as well, but her fear and what that would do to you. And while I was reading this issue, I certainly wondered if you had your fear removed, would you realize how bad that is? And what would it take to realize how bad that is? And it all... It almost feels like reading this issue that Kidsy should get to the point where she realizes, oh, wait, I got to put my fear back in. But she doesn't do it.
1: Yeah. But I think the, the lesson here is that, yeah, she her lack of fear gets her in this situation, but it also gets her out. So it's hard for her to learn a lesson about that. Um, it takes the rest of this whole story of lock and key for her to learn that lesson. Yeah. You need your fear. That's Were why you to say something,
0: Pete, or are you just uh, licking your lips I, it's also seductively? Tough because
2: it, it's also tough because like, as kids, you know, I, at least I felt this way, that like, I was a little slower to be realizing, like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this thing, or mm-hmm. oh, you know what I mean? So it's like I liked how natural that felt, that these kids wouldn't be so aware of themselves and their actions.
0: I mean, they have that conversation later on. Tyler is talking to Kinsey after, at the end of the volume, they've taken out... The Bodhi's memory of what happened with the shadows, which we'll get to in a moment. Yeah, and they say they. Tyler says we can't take out his fear. He's five years old. He would walk into traffic immediately if you let him do that. Uh, And the interesting thing that I think they're ignoring is like they're still kids too. You know they they also can't deal with having their fear taken out. And that's something they're not ready to face yet.
1: But I also get that like when you're that age, the difference between being like 17 and 15 is a chasm. Like you're like, I'm, yeah, a, yeah, I'm basically an adult. You don't understand what it's like to be a senior or a yeah. junior or whatever. So it's like, uh, I, I think that is perfectly played in this. Right. And we're all 19 years old. So we look at 17 yeah. years old and we're like, simmer down kid. Yeah, grow up, yep. you 17-year-olds. When you get to 19, your body still functions fine, like ours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we get to
0: something that I had completely forgotten to ask you guys about two episodes ago back at Welcome to Lovecraft. There's a quick shot of Dodge in the well, looking in a mirror and seeing this rotting corpse thing, which we do, in fact, loop back to here, because Kinsey drops the glue stick. We see it slowly go oh, down through the man, water. Oh, man, what a shot. It is an amazing shot. We see another Omega-type entrance, maybe, mm. down there. But more importantly, we see what certainly looks like Lucas's corpse in the dress that he was wearing in the well with that rotting face that he saw in the mirror. So at this point, if you're a reader, I think you could put together the pieces here that Lucas, as we've kind of found out, did die. What we're seeing is an echo of Lucas in some way. Uh, Some sort of entity has taken over that echo. uh, And that's the actual Lucas who seems to have been gender swapped down there, Though we don't know how or why that happened at this point
1: yeah yeah so the the fact that we follow this glow stick down past the list of names and have this reveal I just think is so well paced It's just such a great it reminds me like Joe Hill's gone on to do a bunch of comic book work and um he has this line coming out from d c uh with a like sort of horror or uh dark fantasy style stories and there's this one called Basketful of heads, and this issue reminds me of that comic where it's just like. Small town, like, tense. Bad things are happening to people. And the pacing of this moment is so much like that. He, check out those comics if you like uh, You like Lock and Key, because they're also great.
0: Uh, then in the next issue, we start to get into the main conflict for this particular miniseries. Uh, we start out, of course, with shadows. Tyler is chasing after Bodie. We see his shadowy claws coming after him. And they discover what we later find out is the giant key. Yeah. And this is so much fun. I love everything that happens from this point on in this mini series. Like, I liked it anyway, but this is just, this is the point where it becomes a blast to read, a terrifying glass to point, but a blast. Uh, they see this uh, lock there, an enormous lock that you could potentially stick this enormous key in. Uh, and this is something that I think, Uh, To be honest, like I did not realize the first time when we were reading this through is that there are actually two parts of the magic. This is going to sound so dumb when I say it out loud, but you think about it as like, oh, they're magical keys, but they're also actually magical locks and magical implements and magical doors, and that's Mm. part of it as well.
1: Yes. Almost like a lock and a key. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Mm. Oh, we should also tell them that they misspell lock. A lot and <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, on the covers and throughout yeah. the series. We should tell them about that.
2: Yeah, we should. Uh, well, we should send them a letter or something like that. Yeah. I yeah. just uh, going back and seeing this, like seeing the design of the keys and how, like, if you really look closely, it shows you what the key does uh, once put into the lock, like on the key. It's very cool. And like, I didn't notice the first time that there's a little kind of like human that it, like shows growing into a bigger one. Uh, and I just now, looking back at it, it's just so, so
1: cool. I yeah. love that they find it and they're sort of like, Tyler's like, oh no, here we go again <laughs> with this yeah. shit. Like, yeah. he's not they happy all... about it.
0: Well, he's not happy about it, but at the same time he is very willing to use the keys to his own advantage, particularly when yeah. it comes to Jordan, which is the funny part there. I think he more just doesn't want to lift it. He's like, oh, this looks so big. And... Tyler is such a fascinating character to me because they really do write him as a meathead. They could write him as, like, the heroic... Kid who is leading them you know And he's which like he does Hero stuff by the end of this volume In particular and he is starting to learn To get there but he has A while to go like he's not even Refusing the call he's just like Kind of a dude bro And just wants to be a dude bro and that's It and all this other stuff keeps interrupting And pushing him towards adulthood And responsibility
1: yeah I mean I think that's true I mean but you know He's like depressed he is a very Sensitive and like uh dealing with a a difficult family situation and trying to like be the uh, father figure to these other kids. But also like, like a lot of kids, like his identity at school is to be like a meathead. So like, yeah, I I think that is just, I like that. Yeah. It feels real.
0: I love the character. I think it's just, it's well written because He's not again your typical straightforward like I'm the hero type guy. So much as yeah. he makes mistakes and he wants things that he should not want, and he goes for them and he messes up.
1: That's... I want to get a I want to get a clipping of you just saying I'm the hero and have that just play in every movie when the hero presents himself him or herself.
0: <laughs> they I'm do the that. Hero.
1: <laughs> they do that
0: in Rise of Skywalker actually. Uh, yes. When Kylo Ren is, uh, spoiler, redeemed uh, He comes out and he says <laughs> I'm the hero, Ray." <laughs> yeah. He's also a parrot at that point uh, Then we get a little bit of too business Too soon, man It's too soon. too soon Too soon to spoil it Sorry, everybody Uh Listen, I know we keep looping around to this, but at this point, we find out that Nina is going to go visit Duncan, help him out with Brian over in Provincetown and everything that's going on. She also talks to the police detective, who, again, seems very nice and interested in the key that she found. Uh, But Kinsey discovers she's been hiding bottles. She clearly is drinking very hard and getting more and more wrecked, but ultimately is leaving anyway. And Kinsey confronts her and says, glad you're not taking Bodie in the car with you. I can smell the liquor on your breath. So things are very bad for her at this point. Yeah, Uh, We also get the first hints of what else went bad for her because we haven't really seen what happened to Nina while everything was going on with Rendell and while everything was going on with the kids where they talk about a little bit, look, I understand things were bad for you and we haven't really talked about that much, but they sort of skip over it and then come back to it later in the volume. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Then...
1: I I like how, uh, real quick, how... um Kinsey's fearlessness or lack of fear mirrors um, actual like how a teenager might act in this situation Mm -hmm. where just like a mom confrontation like this, that feels very real despite the fact that she has been magically altered to be able to have this confrontation. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Also there's a fun play on like when Kinsey's holding a bottle and you see the shadow of the mom, like they were still getting like a lot of like, Mm -hmm. Uh, artistically uh, done shadows in these panels. Yeah. I'd be curious
0: to see beyond the obvious shadows when it is like literally a shadow behind somebody, if they used more ink, more blacks in this particular volume than they did in the previous Mm -hmm. volumes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we get a little bit of a setup where uh, Scott and Jamal give Kinsey a present. It turns out later to be a life preserver. Hilarious. Very hilarious. Uh, she's wearing it at home as she's IMing with him. Uh, and I just want to mention what their uh, IM names are. Uh, hmm. Kinsey's is, is Hole in the Head K. Very funny. Uh, and I believe Scott's is JSAT. And then Jamal's. Oh, no. Jamal's is JSAT. He's Jamal yeah, Saturday. Jamal Saturday. Uh, and Scott's is Devil Worshipper 13. Yeah. Which is. Woof. Right on for him, of course. This kid is edgy. Yeah. Uh, and then the kids are at home. Uh, Nita calls. She's getting drunk at a bar. Uh, and this is when Dodge is sneaking through the house. He discovers the crown of shadows. We get a tease of a door that we saw in the last issue as Bodhi was trying to figure out what was uh, last volume. As Bodie was trying to figure out what was going on with the head key. Uh, Rendell hid the crown of shadows key in black Currents jelly, Dodge makes fun of him and ultimately unveils this chamber below the house that is hiding the crown of shadows. And we get a phenomenal page, phenomenal, where Dodge is standing in front of the crown of shadows with a, uh, we see three shadows three different perspectives of his shadow as light shines up from him. Uh, We cut to the crown of shadows. He puts the key in it. And then when we cut back to Dodge, there are three wolf heads behind him. Absolutely terrifying. The rest of this issue as well. Very scary. Like we, I know we've talked about that a bit, but the way they play out the shadows and way they flash back and forth is legitimately scary in a way that we haven't seen really since uh, that first or second well, issue, I guess, where Dodge yeah. popped out of the well.
2: Yeah, it's it's so intense because like before we saw it and everything was fun and they were IMing and oh I got my life jacket on and but man it takes a turn. Yeah, so Dodge puts on a
0: veil of shadows Because, of course, he doesn't want anybody to know that he is Zach Wells Or anything like that uh, And he tries out three identities I think the first one is Puck from In mm-hmm.
1: Night's Dream Is that right? Uh, maybe, I. my guess is Peter Pan Because a couple pages earlier mm, okay. um, Tyler's reading Peter Pan to Bodhi it looks,
2: it looks to me like Jughead from the old Archie comics Ooh, that'd be a fun <laughs> take It might be
0: does he have a shadow burger
2: at any point? <laughs>
0: mm, I love uh, that he tries out burger. a ninja, and ultimately he puts on this queen costume based on the lady in the well. Uh, we do get to see shadow of Peter Pan, attack Bodie, Uh shadow of fear, attacks Kinsey, of course, and Tyler is just wandering in, eating some pizza, and there's terrifying bears and killer clowns and a yeah, night Yeah, the clown dune. is
2: the creepiest with the X'd out eyes. I mean, yeah. that's just... And I'd rather gets, fight a bear.
0: He gets swallowed by the shadows, but he <laughs> fights back. And that's where we get the first hint of this amazing conflict. That's come. Uh, the fourth issue is the kids fighting back against the shadows. Kinsey figures out that she can flash a shot, uh, shot a flashlight and get them to go away Uh, while Dodge in her shadow, his, her shadow form is trying to find out where the echo key and the Omega key is. Uh, But Tyler is spitting in her face, does not care. Uh, Uh, And one,
2: one thing I'd like to point out though. uh, Unfortunately, it looks like a mistake. Kinsey was wearing the vest in the last attack. And then when you cut back to her fighting fear, the vest is off. Wow.
1: What Uh, a takedown! You're really
2: maybe she had time to take it out. No, what are you talking
0: about? It's off. It's off at the end of the last issue. It's sitting on her pillow.
2: Oh, you're right. Yeah, because she went from typing with it on to then it was off.
0: Pete, you need to send them a no prize. Is what needs to happen. (laughs) Send them an empty envelope. Uh, Uh, What I love about this issue is that they, without ever referencing it, set up the same situation that happened with Sam Lesser, which is that Kinsey was downstairs under a table protecting Bodie from Sam Lesser. She was frozen with fear. She couldn't fight back. And Tyler, meanwhile, was taking on uh, Sam Lesser one-on-one. Uh, and that's what we get here again, but this time Kinsey is able to flip things around. Bodhi also isn't as scared. He figures out the light thing by shedding the the refrigerator light on them. Uh, but they fight back with the light and they're not afraid anymore. And I love that. I love that subtle character progression that if you know it, you see it. But if you don't, it's just kind of there and happening in the background.
1: Yeah, they're yeah. so resourceful now. They're able to just like make moves. Uh, because of being at key house. And I love the way that the, they discover that Kinsey discovers that light beats shadow is such a beautiful art device for the rest of this issue. Mm-hmm. Where we get to see the panel with the horrifying shadows and then the burst of light. And that repeats. And it's just so nice to see.
0: Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, the police detective almost comes up. Classic horror setup. He is right at the door. He is about Classic to come die in. Die Hard. Die
2: Hard? That's your reference? Yeah, because, you know, the police drives up and is about to, you know, drives away and, you know, you got to throw a body at him to get his attention. Oh, right. In
0: this case, they throw a pot, but it doesn't actually work because he's listening to the radio. Uh, But the Shadows take the memory out of his head. He doesn't remember why he was going there or anything like that. Uh, they're all an extension of Dodge. Uh, and ultimately, Dodge is like, you know what? Kinsey clearly knows where the key is. I'm going to join all the shadows together and I'm going to go after Kinsey and Bodie. which frees Tyler, which is Dodge's big mistake here. And I think Huge. to your point you were making earlier, Justin, this is the point where it turns around. This is the point where yeah. they figure out how to fight back. And it's because... Ultimately, I would say Dodge is improvising too much.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, Dodge loses a key at the top of this arc. Like, they're just – these mistakes are starting to compound despite all the success that he's having. Um, So it's really nice to see the villain both succeeding and failing as opposed to a much more predictable, like, succeeding all the time and then suddenly failing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's also a lovely pair of panels that happen towards the end of this issue as Bodie and Kinsey are fleeing once Dodge has pulled all the shadows together, where they're running down the stairs past a bench, which we do get to see later on uh, as well. I think Tyler and Kinsey are sitting on it and chatting about Bodie. They run past it, and we see the same framing of the panel, but Bodie and Kinsey are almost out of frame. They're running forward. They're getting away, and in the background, in the upper right corner, we see this horrifying Wolf's head shadow sticking out that's enormous and gigantic, and we get a tease of what's to come. So fantastic. And at the same time as they're hiding, we get this action montage of Tyler pulling out the giant key, putting it in. We see a glow of light, the opposite of shadow, of course, break through key house. A hand reaches through. And as he teased, we didn't mention this, but uh, Tyler again of v- like very nice subtle setup. Uh, but he said something about like I'm bigger than you and I'm going to kick your ass. Uh, yeah. To yeah. dodge earlier on of the issue, uh, and he comes out and we get a full page splash of him enormous saying, "Hey, dog face, can't say I didn't warn you." And that's where he ends Great. the
2: issue phenomenal. Badass. Such a great line, badass thing to say. But also, I really want to, like, the fact that you see the, uh, you know, the key house and then there's just this light that shines down the side of it, and then you just get a little hand where you think it's, it's huge, but it's like... And then you get to see them enormous. Like, such great panel design to, like, save the reveal for when it's, like, the real kind of, like fight time was such a cool thing because like if you would have like saw it opening in like half of them it wouldn't have been as powerful or whatever but like the way that they did that and the pacing like justin was talking about it's really just unbelievable now
0: then we get to issue five with justin correct me i'm wrong but i I believe you said is one of your favorite issues of the book right yeah
1: i think uh maybe pete as well like this issue is just yeah uh, the f- the nonstop the f- epic splash page action of it,
2: <laughs> uh, and
1: just the fact that they just drop out of they don't need anything else to tell the story besides these huge uh, splash pages, and it's not all just the action. We get to see these reaction shots from Kinsey and Bodie, and uh, all these like very com- comic booky moments. While at the same time, never losing a step with this sort of dark fantasy story they're telling is just it's.
2: It's great cuz it's like if I you know like a younger me was in charge of a comic book I feel like why do we have to wait so long for a fight or why do we have to wait so long for a splash page make it all splash pages and this is just like such an amazing build up and payoff
0: yeah it's absolutely fantastic uh it's I don't think it's exactly inspired by the death of superbad issue which is another very famous full page splash issue but yeah. it it plays out so well and to accomplish something like this, where you can keep track of the action in single panels, essentially that have so many things going on with him throughout. And that it also feels like a full story. Like you don't feel like, ah, man, I read through a 22 panels and that's it. And I'm done. I mean, I think it's a little more than that and ultimately once they win, it does break down into more paddles, but you still feel like you're getting a full meal from the comic book, which is so nice. Now, one yeah. other thing that I want to mention, which doesn't show up at least in the volume that I have at the back matter, they have a cover gallery. This also had one of my favorite covers, and I think it was a variant that they put out where they uh, put it, it was a they did it like a giant sized comic issue and it says giant sized action smashing issue. And they did it sort of like old school style with the logo and the quarter and the price and everything. Absolutely love that. And just so much fun. Uh, And that to what we were saying earlier, Justin about this being a turning point uh, after they beat Dodge, after Dodge loses the crown of shadows in the head key and they manage to save key house and Dodge is barely there lying on the beach. Uh, What Tyler does is he picks them up, lifts them up, shows them all of Lovecraft and said, this is home guys. We're not going to run from shadows here. Not tonight, not ever. Well, yeah, but it's also, it's such a beautiful statement.
1: Yeah, and it, it's also, like, it was always, always surprises me that moment because Tyler is not concerned with, like, finishing the victory there and, like, getting the crown of shadows, all that. He's like, oh, let me show how good we are right now to his brother mm-hmm. and sister, which is just so nice.
0: Yeah, uh, And the other thing, just in terms of the structure of the issues that I do want to mention, because I was kind of looking for this, is they do such a good job of keeping Dodge in the form of Zach Wells out of everybody's sight, that just in the geography of the scene, he could very easily be discovered. But, say, Tyler is looking in the other direction, while Zach is... Uh, protected by a wave so he can't see him later on again he's hidden by a rock uh, and there's one other thing that happens that is such a perfect godzilla monster movie thing that i feel yeah. like they just put in for fun is the kid, the, the kid with the teddy bear uh yeah as they're fighting by it there's just a little girl with a teddy bear that looks up and sees the enormous tyler and it's yeah it's just delightful Like it doesn't tie into the plot in any way It's just a fun thing to put in there for the issue It's a
2: good image That that poor little kid's gonna need therapy later Really? You think so? I don't know, man She just witnessed a giant shadow monster Fighting a giant human Yeah, I guess I guess
0: they probably should have taken the memory Out of her head as well Yeah. Yeah Not just Bodhi Yeah, just a thought then we get this last issue. This is the epilogue. This is the hangover from everything that happened as new. So Nina real quick, I just back. want to say yeah, yeah.
1: The, the scene with Jordan and, and Tyler at the end of that fifth issue, uh, we get this oh, moment
0: the, where- Oh, right. I'm sorry. I, I skipped by the end of that. I apologize.
1: That's right. Um and it's just a quick moment, but I think it's really important. So Jordan comes up to him. Tyler was so confident that he like, won her over by giving her um, his, the paper that he wrote but because he cheated and put the book in his head using the head key. She got an F on the paper because uh, it didn't show any thinking, it just showed, it was just like a list of facts, basically. Um, and, and I think this teaches Tyler that these keys are failable. Like they're not they're not uh, in like a way that you can all – you use them and you win, which is what Dodge thinks. And so um, I think Tyler learns in this moment that these keys give you a great power, but they also give you a weakness. And I think that is huge for the way that the story unfolds throughout the rest of the issues of the series.
2: So uh, – Pete,
1: please go ahead. Oh,
2: well, uh, if you wanted to talk about that point, I wanted to – since we're going backwards, something we missed, I wanted to oh, talk about as well.
0: I was just going to say, uh, and this is very important, and thank you for pausing and allow me to bring this up, that <laughs> would you say that with that great power comes uh, something else, like anything else in particular?
1: No, I, I don't. Honestly, I don't. I've never heard anyone say that half of that sentence, uh, so I don't have an answer to that. Okay, like uh, with great speechless. power comes more keys. I feel irresponsible, but I'm speechless.
2: Mm. Um, hmm. one thing I wanted to talk about when the mom comes home and the house is trashed and stuff, there's a moment with a uh, Bodhi that I didn't notice before. And it's that same kind of like four panel grid, but in the last panel, the mm-hmm. shadow turns into that evil Peter Pan shadow. And I never noticed that before.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's because the magic is not gone. Things are still going Ooh. badly. Um also what do you think about the decision for them to take this memory out of Bodhi's head? Because I feel like it's incorrect. Like they do the wrong thing there.
1: Yeah, it is a little weird. I agree.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Leave memories in people's heads. That's all I'm saying. Uh the thing that I actually wanted to ask you guys about are the last three panels here, where after Tyler has messed up with Jordan. He sees the leaves start falling, and he says, huh, pretty nice around here where the leaves start to change color. We get a shot of a tree letting a leaf loose. The next panel, the leaf is floating across the side of the panel, and the last panel is just a simple blue and white sky, and that's it. What do you think that means?
2: I think Gabriel Rodriguez is like, wait, we could end it here. You know, <laughs> we don't have to keep doing like all of this art is killing me. This is mm-hmm. so much detail. I can't keep going on like this.
0: I just drew 15 fucking splash pages. <laughs> Give me a break for these last three battles, yeah. man.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's funny because it's to me, it's just like a nice little moment after all this like total chaos. And he's just, like, stopping and enjoying the beauty of nature. And then it's just, like, the camera kind of, like, pans up a little bit.
1: And we kind of get to enjoy it, too. I think it's sort of a reflection of what he said to uh, Kinsey and Bodie, Where he, when we first met Tyler, he was, like, super Mm -hmm. depressed in a very dark place. And then he just had this epic fight uh, and won. And he's like, you know what? I do feel comfortable here, despite all this insanity and the fact that I just blew it with this girl that I like. Uh, I I think things are coming my way.
0: I mean, it might also be as simple as it's uh, to what you're saying, Justin, it's ending with light instead of shadows. Like there's still a little bit of darkness encroaching in the corner there in the upper left corner of the panel. But ultimately, we're seeing white shine out there. And he's in so shadow,
1: we, right? He's in the shadow yeah. of the, the statue.
0: The statue, yeah. So at least for the moment, light has won, but the shadow is always going to be there. Maybe that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. Then we get to the last issue, the epilogue, Brian Repair, a huge emotional gut punch throughout this issue. Oof. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. This is in exactly the right way, but so hard to read. For yeah. multiple reasons. And one of the biggest reasons, I think, is how Gabriel Rodriguez draws Nina Locke throughout this issue. She is just haggard. She is tired. She is worn out. She is done with everything. And she is completely losing control, not just of her children, but of her body and her mind at this point. And it's uh, there is barely a panel where she does not have a drink in her hand. She is helping Bodie. We start with a horrifying series of paddles where we just see Bodie grabbing his chin and leaving a bloody handprint on the wall. We don't even know why. While Nino watches a video of Rendell juggling plates uh, and he comes in and it turns out it's nothing to do with Dodge or anything like that. He's just banged his chin and he's bleeding from his chin. Uh, yeah. And... She ultimately, that is how they discover he was trying to find a key. Uh, They ultimately discover this key that can fix things. Uh, It opens a cabinet. You put things in the cabinet and it repairs things. It's the The mending key, the the mending key. Uh, And she ends up breaking a bunch of plates. We see things breaking and cracking throughout this issue. Uh, And Nina discovers her cane she was hurt during the attack by Sam Lesser, uh, has been repaired by this cabinet. Now, I think the way she's able to keep track of this magic is probably because she's drunk, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think the yeah. idea that uh, you have to be a kid to see the magic of Key House, and when you're drunk, you sort of have a, 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 a smaller to brain, you, if you will. Like you're, you're infantilized a little bit. So I think she's just like, oh, okay. This works.
0: Yeah. Uh, And we also get to see the cabinet. It stretches to fill whatever you're putting in it. Uh, So she tries the cane. She tries a stool that was broken. Uh, She tries plates and repairs those. Uh, And then she tries juggling everything. It all breaks, but she doesn't care. Uh, This, to me, is an interesting sequence of pages because we see this really beautiful freed expression on her face as she jugs these plates juggles a wine bottle juggles a wine glass and the next panel everything is breaking around her she says go ahead and smash you fuckers i can fix you later i can fix everything what do you think nina is feeling at this point because to me it reads as manic
1: I, i i love the moment it's like a little moment of magic Um, that she is juggling the plates. Like, she actually gets to fully be free in this. Like, it feels like she is just, like, being crushed by all these things that have happened to her in her life. And this is the first time we've seen her be actually free. And I I don't know. I wouldn't call it manic. I think it's, like, in her drunken state dealing, like, finding this magic. She's like, oh, I have a tool that will solve my problems. And that's where Mm -hmm. I think she gets into this next reveal where she – puts uh, the urn with Rendell's ashes. Oh, in, yeah, this in is ha-
2: heartbreaking here. Yeah. This is
0: this is a gut punch of a panel right here, because we see her in the bathroom. She goes, uh, so what uh, do we fix next? What really needs, huh? As she's opening a bottle of wine, and then we get a panel of her tying into the shadows of the overall arc, but she's completely I- half in shadow, barely holding herself up, and in the foreground is the urn that holds Rendelock's ashes. And what did you think, if you could think back this far, what did you think the first time you read this? Did you think he was going to come back? He was not going to back, come back? What was your impression?
2: I was hoping it would, um, but the look on her face when she puts that urn in the cabinet is just
1: unbelievable. It I feel says like, so much. I feel like they do a good job of showing the video of him almost as if it's a setup that we're about to see him. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought we might get some sort of magical version of him, but I mean he's like the, you know, the Uncle Ben of this series. He's the one character you can't bring back.
0: Yeah, and f- as we know, wait, what was that lesson that Uncle Ben taught Spider-Man? Stop I always with forget this. what it, it is. is. Come
1: on. I think he said always Have a a spare pair of underwear. Mm. Okay, smart. Yeah. Uh, So, definitely, like, if
0: this was going to bring it back, it would be monkey paw. Oh, I remember it was.
1: It was with great shower comes great (laughs) rinseability.
0: Love that guy. Love that. I hope they bring him back. I hope Marvel brings it back sometime soon because that would be fun. You shut your face. Uh, So, yes, all of the facial acting that they do, that Gabriel Rodriguez does here, is absolutely heartbreaking and awful. She thinks maybe the urn is going to take longer, and then we get an excruciatingly rock-bottom point for Nina, where she's dressing in sexy lingerie. She thinks she sees him back, goes up, rubs the back of his head, but it turns out to be Tyler, which is... Horrifying, oh, horrifying 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 yeah. he shoves her they fight the urn breaks on the floor and then she slaps Kinsey and all of this keeps happening and it just gets worse and worse like this yeah. is you feel for Nina the entire time but it's so clear there is this is the absolute lowest she can go
1: yeah it—it it is truly a, just a, this issue is such a dark sad way to end this arc. It's mm-hmm. crazy to me that they did it this way. But it's great. Well, yeah,
2: but also gives you a little hope right at the end, though. I don't know. Yeah.
1: The the end reveal we're about uh. to talk about is to me, it's more stressful. I'm like, oh, you yes. have to hide this key. To, to say but, what it is, uh, they find the Omega key in their father's ashes.
0: Oh. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I agree. That is
2: I, absolutely, absolutely. I think, Oh, go ahead, Pete. I'm sorry. I feel like that's what the uh, cabinet fixed. Like, that key wasn't there, uh, but the cabinet put that key there to fix what's going on with them. Oh, that's interesting. Interesting. I I take it—my takeaway from reading that at the
0: end of that, them finding the Omega key is like— Oh my God, this is the thing that Dodge has wanted this entire time. The one thing keeping them safe at this point is they have no idea what it is or where yeah. to find it or anything, and now they know. And yeah, now they need to keep that key safe. They need to keep that information away. They are utterly screwed.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought too. It's such a tense, and I love the way that they've established what the Omega Key looks like without talking about it. So it's just a visual reveal in this moment. So great. And one thing I want to say that I we haven't talked about before is the recap page of this uh, series, each issue is so good. Uh, I love it. And it reminds me of Battlestar Galactica's recap before they went into every episode. It's just like so concise, so smart, really. Oh, how
0: are, how are you reading this? Because I'm reading it in the collective volumes. That's how I'm going back. Are you reading the
1: individual issues? I am. Yes.
0: Oh, OK. I forgot about this. How do they do it?
1: It's like a one page, and it's, uh, it's almost like it's very poetically told. It's all in black and white, and it's like it explains Key House. And it's like they need to – I don't have it in front of me, but they need to collect the uh, keys to, um, to survive. And like it's – you see a bunch of keys that you don't know what they mean yet. Like it's a picture of Dodge. Like it is just really well done. Can we talk about,
0: uh, just to take a step backwards, there is one detail that we probably should talk about before we kind of wrap up this volume, which is the revelation that they've been hinting at throughout the volume that something else happened to Nina. And as it turns out, she, while Sam was killing Rendell Locke, she was actually raped by Al, the guy that was working with Sam, who ultimately, I think she was the one who chopped him in the head with the axe and killed him, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, this is awful. This adds yes. an extra layer to everything. Um, I don't know how to feel about this. I feel like this went by me the first time I read it, and it wasn't until reading it this time that I really picked up on it. Um, and it's it's a rough it's a rough revelation. What, what's your take on it?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it, agree. Like, especially like, just someone who's been crushed so hard to then throw this an uh, additional horrifying detail on there is, is it's horrible. Also it helps explain why she's maybe hitting the sauce so hard.
2: Uh, well, I think, I mean, she'd be well justified to do it if it was just Rendell being
0: killed, but I think what it does for better or for worse, and certainly we could get into issues with, adding sexual assault characteristics onto a female character in comics, though I would argue that I think they do it responsibly here because they're treating all the characters evenly is every single one of them has their own private pain and their own thing that they are dealing with, both with the attack that Sam and Al did on the house, uh, but also just ongoing what's happening on key house. So ultimately in order to beat Dodge, They're all going to have to work together And come back together as a family They were split apart by what happened Uh, But Like we've discussed, Tyler has his own thing Kinsey has her own thing Bodhi probably has something that we haven't really dealt with it yet Uh, And Nina certainly has their own thing, and I think that's What that clarifies there Because we've been very focused on the kids But now we understand how Nina Is part of this as well
1: Yeah
0: Yeah All right, that all out of the way. Before we wrap up here, let's unlock our key moments for this volume. What is the key moment for you? Uh, I can start on this one. I would say we've talked about it already, but that scene on the staircase, that one pager, I think about that all the time uh, with Dodge hiding below, mostly in shadow uh, with Nina and Tyler up above. It is a absolutely wonderful one page spread uh, that I think is so well done. And the second page that I think of after the one of Dodge emerging for the well, when I think about the series.
1: Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, Justin, what about you? Got a key moment? Um, My key moment is just, um, Tyler emerging as a hero, both, I guess it's sort of two moments, both, um, his, he takes the power of the giant key and wins. They finally carve out a, an, a real win for the Locke family when they haven't really had that yet. And then I, we just, I just mentioned it, the second revelation that these keys are powerful, but there is, uh, they, they aren't all powerful. And I think that is what eventually saves him in the end. Yeah. Pete,
2: what about you? Uh, Key moment. Key moment is for me, it's the giant spread panel where Tyler has the, you know, evil monster on his back. And as he's kind of fighting, he looks out of the corner of his eye and sees the lighthouse like and just this moment of like, even when the things look bad, like he's still seeing the light and he's still there is still hope. And I feel like that giant page like really kind of sums up like he's. There's so much they're dealing with, so much that's on their back, and there's so much, but there's still like they're still smart enough to kind of see the light and fight for it. All right. If you
0: would like to support our show patreon.com slash comic book club also we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York come on by we would love to chat with you about Lock and Key A couple of places socially you can check us out Lock and Key pod on Twitter on Instagram and on Facebook Uh, also iTunes Android Spotify and Stitcher or the app of your choice to subscribe or listen to the podcast please do comment Also on iTunes, that really helps us out a whole lot Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more And remember, with great power
1: comes great shots, 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 right? It is wine o'clock, according to Pete's Visor